This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. I now invite Sister Karis to read God's word to us. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 17. Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shatiah, Shatiah the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's go to God in prayer and ask him to help us to understand his word to us today. Dear Father, as we come to you, as we come to these strange names, we pray that we may make sense of it and that you may speak clearly into all our hearts to see why all of us need Jesus Christ, your Son. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why bother with Jesus? Someone said that to me. They said, I've got a good job. You know, I play sport with my friends, I watch EPL on TV, I go to Japan and Europe for my holidays. My life is pretty happy, so you know, why do you bother me with Jesus? Why bother with Jesus? I think that's a good question to ask, not just if I am a Christian or even as a non-Christian. 
Because we often need to remind ourselves, why do we need to bother with Jesus when there's so many other things that occupy our thoughts and our minds and our hearts? Today, the book of Matthew begins right the very first verse by telling us why we need to bother with Jesus. It begins by this very short and very powerful phrase, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now this word genealogy literally means family tree. In other translations, it translates it as the book of the origins of Jesus or the book of the history of Jesus. And so the first sentence of any book is very, very important because it tells us what the book is about, the nature of the book. And so, I'm going to have a bit of quiz time, right? So, you know, in the first sentence of these, uh, uh, I guess, classic stories or movies, you can tell a bit about the movie, right? So, okay, what is this movie, right? A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Okay, so, so anybody? Okay, so that, that comes from Star Wars, right? Okay? Okay, so... Start with the easy one. Now I'll give you a harder one. See how literate you are. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Okay, Tale of Two Cities. Okay, now we know who are the, the readers among us. Okay, then I guess this one is quite straightforward as well. In a hole in the ground that lived the Hobbit. Not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with ends of worms and oozy smell. Okay, so this is the Hobbit, right? Now you can notice... In the beginning words, the beginning sentences of all of these classic stories or movies, you, you know straight away these are like fantasies, these are literature, these are make-believe. What the book of Matthew is trying to tell us right from the very first verse is this is about a real person in history. Remember watching this thing on YouTube where a Christian was debating an atheist and the atheist said, you know, you know, Jesus is like the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. You know, we grew up believing in the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus, but we grew up and we grew out of our belief in the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. So the same thing happens in our belief in Jesus Christ. And so the Christian person says, actually, when I grew up, I never believed Jesus. I never knew Jesus. The difference was, for me, I grew up into believing in Jesus. When I grew up as a child, I didn't know Jesus, but as an adult, I recognized and came to faith in Jesus because I recognized, firstly, that he was a real person. A missionary was telling me of how he went to Papua New Guinea. And for many years, they tried to share Jesus Christ with the tribal people, and they had very, very little success. And then one day, his translator, this tribal person, was saying, you know, what are these words in the beginning? of the Gospels. He said, oh, that's not very important. That's just the genealogy. And as the translator read the genealogy, he said, this is, this is very important. This is very important. Why didn't you read this to us? This tells us that Jesus is a real person. And that's what the beginning, the very first verses, the very first sentences of Matthew are trying to tell us, that this is a real person, the book of the origins or the genealogy or the history of a real person called Jesus Christ. And so what are we meant to know about this person, Jesus? Firstly, that he is Christ. Now, Christ is not the surname, right? It's not like Andrew Ong, right? Or John Tan, or, or you know, uh, Elizabeth Lim, or something like that, right? Jesus Christ is, is, is a title. It's an office, in a sense. It's, an, uh, you know, who he is. And the word Christ here literally means anointed one. Anointed one. And so in the history of God's people, God had anointed people for various tasks, right? So the priests 
were always anointed to do various things on behalf of God and God's people. The kings were anointed by God's prophets to be kings. So here we see in 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel was told by God to go and choose a king that he had chosen and anoint him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord came on David. But in the time of Jesus, God had not anointed a person for a very, very, very long time. And God's people had been waiting for not just a anointed one, an ordinary anointed one, but the anointed one, right? The ultimate, final fulfillment of the anointed one. So I'm sure you all know the word Uber, right? Now before Uber became known as just a car sharing company, Uber actually meant something outstanding, right? It's a German word. It's like the outstanding, supreme example of a particular kind of a person, a particular kind of a thing. And so the Christ is not just an anointed one. It is like the outstanding, supreme, final manifestation of the anointed one. They were waiting for this anointed one, and Jesus is the anointed one. He is like the uber anointed one. He is the Christ, the final the fulfillment of all of God's plans for the anointed one. Now, how is that so? He is the anointed one with capital letters because he is the son of David. Now, who is the son of David and why is he important? Why does Jesus being of the line of David, the son of David, not literally he's not like the next son, but like he's of the line of David, the blood of Jesus, why is that so important for us? Now, as we've been looking at the, the genealogy, we're meant to look for clues, okay? We're meant to look for clues. So, when I was growing up, I remember my kids used to watch this show called Blue's Clues. Okay, so I think in Nickelodeon, they still have Blue's Clues, so it's still successful today. And so, Blue's Clues, you know, a dog has this paw, okay? You notice his paw has this paw print. And so, for Blue's Clues, if you watch the Blue's Clues, a Blue, who's the dog, will put his paw print on clues to help the watcher, obviously little children, to see what the clue is pointing to. So, you know, that's his paw print. And so here we're looking for the chair. Okay, so where's the chair? Anybody, where's the chair? Where's the chair? Where's the chair, right? Okay, then blue will show you. Okay, that's the chair. So we look for the chair. So here in the genealogy, The book of uh, Matthew, in the, the writer Matthew gives us these clues, right? So here, Blue puts his paw print. And we see that, hey, in verse 6, there is this guy called David, but out of all the people in the genealogy, he's the only one who's given a title. He is the King David. And so he's given this special title, which is different from all the other people in the genealogy, and so, therefore it means something, right? And so... Why is Jesus the son of David? Why is this important? Why is Jesus the son of King David? Because in history, God had given King David promises that his kingship will never end. His line, someone from his line, someone from his blood, someone from his seed will become king and the throne of his kingdom will be established forever and ever and ever to eternity. And this is the declaration and the promise of God. Right? The Lord himself declares that he will establish a house for you and this throne will be forever and this, this 
kingdom will be forever and the throne will be never ending. We see also in Psalm 89, which we did for our responsive reading, the very same thing. Right? I have found David my servant and with my sacred oil I have anointed him. My covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever and his throne as long as the heavens endure, which is obviously a very, very long time. Now this is really important because any of us here could call ourselves Christ. You know, I could call myself Andrew Christ. Or you know, you could call yourself something Christ. But we are not really the Christ because only someone who comes from that line of King David can inherit the promises that God has given. And so Jesus is the eternal forever king, but he's also the long-promised king. Right? The promises reside in King David can only give, be given to those who are the son of David. Now obviously, since we are not Jews, it cannot come to us, right? It can only come to that one particular person who comes in that line of David. And so, out of the millions of people in the whole world born in history, Jesus is uniquely, right, uniquely qualified to be the Christ because he's on the line of David. And this promise is something that has been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, I'm not very good at waiting. I don't like waiting extra 10 seconds for my microwave to cook. I get impatient when my grab doesn't come. I get impatient when my Lazada package comes late. But this promise of God has been waiting for generations to come true. And it comes true in the person of Jesus Christ. It comes in the genealogy of King David. He's the eternal forever king, the long-promised king. But it's not just that Jesus is the eternal forever king, the long-promised king, but it's the nature of his reign that will be important. So one characteristic of his reign is that it will be eternal forever. But also, the characteristic of his reign is that it will be of peace and justice and righteousness. It will be like God bringing peace on this earth and upholding it with justice and righteousness. Now, you know, I, I don't know how many of you ever watched these Miss Universe competitions. Right? I, I don't really watch it myself, but, but I, I know that there's always this question that's always asked, right? What do you wish? What is your wish right, for the world? And the, apparently the right answer is always is world peace, right? World peace. We always, you know, like, that's the, the, the perfect answer, right? What, what do you wish for the world? Not, not money or materials, but world peace. Now, if we look at today's passage, the only person who can bring world peace is Jesus Christ. He's the only one of the power of God, and he's the only one who God has promised through whom he will bring peace and justice and righteousness in this world. In a sense, they can ask this question of, at the Miss Universe's uh, competitions, uh, and the answer will always be world peace, right? Because without Jesus, you will never be able to achieve world peace. So for those of you who were at the church camp, uh, Dr. Ben Thompson, remember, he doesn't like being called doctor, right? Okay. Ben Thompson used this illustration about how, you know, we 
as human beings, just cannot have peace in this world. We are always at war. Uh, so I can't remember the figure he quoted in his sermon or his talk, but I went to Google it later on. And indeed, the amount of money we spend on military weapons uh, is staggering. Right? So last year, 2020 and 21, the whole world in total spent $2.1 trillion on arms in one year. That's like 2.1 with 11 zeros. That's how much military spending there is in one year globally. So I went a bit beyond what Ben Thompson did. And military spending has actually been increasing for the last 15 years. So actually you will never have world peace because we as a, ra- we as a people, right, the human race, just keep spending more and more on, on arms and more and more we, we're just given over to violence and brutality and warfare. And so why bother with Jesus? Because only in Jesus will we ever get the peace and the justice and the righteousness that all of us long for. But that's not all. Why bother with Jesus? Not just because he brings wonderful peace, but but the book of Matthew goes on. He's not just the son of David, but he's also the son of Abraham. Now it's really interesting, right? Because the, the author, Matthew, doesn't go back to Jesus being the son of Adam and Eve. He goes back to Abraham. Now, who is this person, Abraham? Why is he so important? And how is he linked to the son of David? Now, Abraham is really important because basically Abraham is the beginning of God's people. Okay? If you look in the Bible, God begins his people with the family of Abraham. And he begins in Genesis 12 by making a series of promises to Abraham or Abram before he changed his name. And one of those promises is, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God repeats that promise in Genesis 22. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because... You have obeyed me. Now, this is amazing, right? If you think about it. Because Jesus is Christ, the anointed one. He is uniquely Christ because he is the eternal king, the long-promised king, the wonderful God-like ruler who brings peace. But he brings blessings not just to the Jews, but to all nations. And this only happens because Jesus, within himself, is like the coming together of these two lines of people, right? King David and Abraham. And in this person in whom is the blood of both King David and Abraham is like in a sense the coming together of all the promises, the great promises of God that, that God has made in the Old Testament for people. An eternal king, wonderful peace and blessings for all nations. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is what, what blessings does God have in mind when he thinks about the blessings given through Abraham, through Jesus? Now again, we need blue 
to help us with his paw print, right? To help us to see what clues Matthew has left for us in the genealogy. Now, it's really interesting because if you look at the genealogy, there are four mothers who are kind of like singled out, right? They're like the rest of the genealogy, there are no mothers. But here we see there are four mothers who are singled out. The mother, Tamar, the mother, Rahab, the mother, Ruth, and this mother who is strangely unnamed, Uriah's wife. Now, why? Why does he, in a sense, put these paw prints out there for us to follow? Well, something binds together these four women. First of all, they are all actually uh, foreigners, right? Or seen as foreigners. And so, in a sense, even within the bloodline of Jesus, we know that God is at work to bless all nations, to be consistent with his promise to Abraham that through Jesus, all nations will be blessed. But I think something more important and significant is at stake here. So let's look at Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now who is this guy, Judah? And who is this woman, Tamar? Well, Judah was actually the father-in-law to Tamar. Now, if we understand Judah was the father-in-law of Tamar, then this sentence is quite, frankly, disturbing, right? Because Judah, the father-in-law of Tamar, was the father of Perez and Zerah. Do you think that's a bit strange? Like the father-in-law is like the father of these two children with his daughter-in-law? Well, if we actually read and understand the story, there's even more like terrible things which are happening here in this relationship. Judah, we know, was, was uh, sinful and unfaithful to God because God actually, through his law, commanded that he should give his children or his sons to Tamar to give her offspring. But he failed to do so. He deliberately, rebelliously, unrepentantly failed to give his children to Tamar so that she could have a family. And so what did Tamar do, his daughter-in-law? Tamar scammed the, father, the father-in-law, right? She, she pretended to be a prostitute. She was standing by the side of the road. Judah comes along. She, he thinks she's a prostitute, but actually it's, it's her daughter-in-law, his daughter-in-law. And so Judah and Tamar come together. And then as a result... Perez and Zerah come along. Now that's frankly very disturbing, right? There are many, many sordid sins involved here. So that's the first woman. The second woman is Rahab. Rahab was the woman who helped the spies of the Israelites enter the promised land. But we also remember that Rahab was also a prostitute. And then again, there's this person, Uriah's wife. And this is a big Blue's clue, right? This is the only person in the whole of the genealogy who is not actually named. This person's got a name, we know her name, but instead of using her name, and I'm sure Matthew knew her name, Matthew uses the husband's name and says it is the husband's wife, Uriah's wife. Now Matthew is doing something here, right? He's deliberately pointing us to something. So what is he pointing us to? He's pointing us to the fact that 
King David, who was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. So King Solomon lusted over Uriah's wife. He slept with Uriah's wife, made her pregnant, and then he took Uriah's life. See? See what I did there? Wife, wife, life. Right? That's what... That's this great sin, right, that, that has happened here. That, that Solomon committed adultery with Uriah's wife and killed Uriah, took his life to hide the fact that Solomon was actually his son. So I think what Matthew is trying to show here is that, that even within the line of Jesus, God's son, the Christ, there's all this terrible sin. And so the question is, this Christ, the Son of God, has to do something about this sin. He's come to do something with this sin. And so this blues clues is, who can forgive all this sin, right, which is even there prevalent in the line of David, in the lines which come together in Jesus' life. And so, as we go through the book of Matthew, we actually see that later on, one of the key things that we find is that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And to do that, he does this great miracle in healing this paralytic. Now, this is so important for us because as we have seen, Jesus comes to solve the problem of sin. And one of those sins was obviously the problem of war, right? the problem of conflict, the problem of brutality. But that's just one of the symptoms of the sins around us. It's a bit like COVID, right? You know, when you get COVID, you get all sorts of different symptoms. You lose your sense of smell, you lose your sense of taste, you get body aches, you get fever, maybe you know, your nose starts running. But the cause illness is still COVID. And so what we've seen is the wars, right? The selfishness, the greed around us is just a symptom of sin but, but we're helpless against all this sin in the world and, and God needs to bring the Christ into the world to deal with these sins. So a few years ago, <clears throat> I read in a newspaper about how the police had caught or arrested someone who had been taken photo- photographs of men at the public swimming pools. So when I was reading through the list, to my great horror, I realized that actually he also been going to one of the public swimming pools that I used to go very regularly. And then I always remembered there's this guy who always made me feel uncomfortable in the swimming pool because when we go to changing rooms, he's always using his handphone. And I was like thinking, is that the guy? Is that the guy, right? And I felt really, really like, upset about it because I, like, I did feel very uncomfortable with this person. And if this person was taking my photograph, you know, how would you feel, right? You would feel very violated and very angry. In a sense, I also look to Jesus because Jesus is the one who's going to bring justice and righteousness and solve the problem of sin in the world. But I also realize that I'm a sinner too. And so I need Jesus because I need forgiveness. I had the weirdest dream a couple of uh, months ago. I dreamt about how I was back in school like 40 years ago and and. I remember how I had been really, really 
mean and cruel and unkind to a friend of mine. Now, I don't know where that dream came from. Like 40 years later, all these funny dreams, maybe it's a midlife crisis thing, I don't know. You know, like 40 years later, you just dream this dream about something which you did so many years ago, but which you later regretted, right? And I realized that for myself, it's like my guilty conscience was kind of speaking to me through my dream because I wish that I could have gone back and not done what I'd done and said the things that I said and even go back and say sorry to that person. So the question is, why bother with Jesus, right? Well, we need to have Jesus because he's the one who not just brings peace and justice and righteousness in this world, but we also recognize that we need Jesus because we ourselves are the problem. You know, when we look in the mirror, we are the ones who are also sinners. We also need forgiveness. So I came across this uh, article which came out a few days ago in The Guardian, and there's this guy called Stephen Hansaken. I, I just took out a quote of what he said. He said, religion is meant to help, a, help you be a better person. And I was thinking to myself, actually, when we read the book of Matthew, that's not what Matthew says, right? Matthew is not saying that we need Jesus because we need to be better people. But actually, what Matthew is actually saying, we need Jesus because we are not the better people. We cannot be the better people. Uh, we actually need Jesus to solve the problem because we are not the better people. Right? We need Jesus to come as this eternal promised king to bring the peace and justice and righteousness in this world. But we also need Jesus because he's a blessing for all people and he brings us forgiveness. So why bother with Jesus? We need to bother with Jesus because we cannot solve the problem of sin in this world. The problem of sin in other people and the problem of sin in my own life. And so I hope that as we look at just the genealogy of the book of Matthew today, that we actually have to remember all of us need Jesus. We, we can never do without Jesus. We can never be a better person or solve the problem of sin in this world. We need the Christ, right? The, that long-anointed uber one, the one who is the fulfillment, the culmination, the final anointed one who will come to be the eternal king to bring peace, justice, and righteousness in this world. But also to bring forgiveness, forgiveness for our sins, forgiveness for the things that we have done wrong, which we cannot make right. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much as we remember what Jesus has done for us, that he is not a normal human being, that you, in a sense, have worked through history, through bloodlines, so that Jesus would be the one in the line of David and also in the line of Abraham. He is the one for whom the whole world and all history has been waiting for. He is your promised eternal king who will rule with God-like power to bring peace and justice and righteousness to this world, to this world which is unable to, to ever find peace on its own. But more importantly, dear Father, we see that Jesus is the one to solve the problem of sin, the problem of our heart, and the hearts of all human beings, men and women, and also ourselves. Dear Father, we thank you so much because we recognize that 
Left to ourselves, we cannot be the better people. We cannot be the good people. And therefore, all the more, we need to turn to Jesus. For He is the one to solve the problem of my sin. To bring me forgiveness. To bring peace and justice and righteousness on this world. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll now have a few minutes for discussion. You can discuss with your neighbours on uh, what you've taken away from the sermon. Or you can also choose to uh, use the suggested question here on why should we bother with Jesus. Okay, so let's discuss for a few minutes. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.